Hey everybody, and welcome back to the local feed show. My name is Azura, and our guests, or should I say guests, today are the ladies from Girl Talk. Who are they and what do they do? They are a group of NTU female students who came together for the final year project. That project was to embark on a campaign which aims to tackle campus sexual harassment in Singapore. So now that they've graduated, what's next for Girl Talk? We've broken down this episode into three parts. On the first part of this episode, which is this episode, we talked about challenges going into the campaign, you know, as it's a conversation that many would just shun away from. Impact of victim blaming culture. How can one be an ally? Before we get to it, if you want to support us, there are a few ways you can do so. Share an episode with your friends, subscribe to our YouTube, Spotify, you know, all our podcast platforms. If this is not your first episode, we truly appreciate you taking the time to sit down with our guests and with us. So, without further ado, remember, be bold and stay inspired. Here are the ladies from Girl Talk. Hi, ladies. Okay. Okay, so first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Okay, if, if each one of you could, could, could introduce yourselves, and that'd be great. And, you know, yeah, go for it. Okay, um, I'm Danielia. I'm Yun Rong. I'm Heather. Okay, and where are you, where are you ladies from, and what do you do? Oh, that's a good question. Oh. <laughs> I think maybe you can start by saying that we met in NTU, we came to school of communication and information, and we started Girl Talk together, but currently we are graduates of the school already, and we are all um, having, we all have our full-time jobs, yeah. If, as for me, I can say that, oh, I'm a civil servant, yeah. And for you, wrong. And then what? what? <laughs> too formal. Are you nobody asked. Nobody asked. Nobody asked. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows now because I accidentally left my profession. <laughs> no, only. Uh, I work in PR. Okay. And you, wrong. I work in the tech industry. In the tech industry. I think that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay, um, tell us a bit about Girl Talk and what, I mean, I know you've answered this question like probably a million times, but just for the sake of those who are listening and not sure what Girl Talk is, if someone can briefly kind of share with us how it got started and why, why Girl Talk? Why was it, why did it become Girl Talk? Uh, okay, I can I can answer how we started. Okay. So um, as Ben mentioned earlier, Girl Talk, which is uh, is actually four of us, um, including Don, who is not here with us today. Uh, so we started actually as a final year project. So in the Wikimedia School, where we graduated from, um, every if you are in the PR or like ad track, which is what we were all in, you have to do a campaign for your final year project. So we're thinking, thinking about what are some topics that we were passionate about. And at the end of the day, we decided to settle on um, a campaign against sexual harassment, specifically in universities. So that was how it was born. And then we ended our academic league, I think, 
earlier this year in March. Yeah, we ended in March. Um, and since then, we've kind of like um, taken a bit of a break, but we're not gone. So it's very interesting because uh, before we had this call, we had internally multiple calls ourselves. So we can kind of discuss like where to go next with this. And we were brainstorming. We had like such big ideas. We were thinking, should we change the audience? Should we do something different? Should we um, like do it like webinar style? Like where to go to next? Because for us, we all have full-time jobs, right? But we still want to continue this um, as a very meaningful movement. So um, how much I talk about what we're doing now? I guess I've led up to that point. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, oh yes, okay. So uh, now that we're out of that kind of uh, academic zone, um, we still are a platform, a movement, a place where people can ask questions and we answer. Um, and still what we're focused on is trying to empower female undergrads to respond to sexual harassment. But the way that we're going to go about doing that is going to be a little bit different now. Our focus is primarily shifting to um, technology-facilitated sexual violence. Is that correct? Yes. You're wrong. Is that correct? Uh, <laughs> sexual harassment in a digital age. Okay, that's interesting. If you could share a bit more about that. How's it okay, going? No, How's it going? Actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that one, we are still working on it. So, like, we'll be releasing more content, like, uh, in a few months' time. But, yeah, we're really, like, trying to balance between um, this initiative and our full-time jobs. But, yeah, that's the direction we are going for, and we'll be releasing um, more content soon. <laughs> so, spoiler. Um, and I realized, uh, <laughs> I realized um, previously, um, Heather... Um, I think I think she talked about like how our group came about, right? But uh, we haven't really said like what Law Talk is about. So actually, um, so um, it was our FYP project, but basically we started this because, um, you know, after the Monica Bay incident and you know the rise of a lot of sexual harassment cases, especially in, in on campuses, we felt the need to bring this up and to really like explore this topic because it is something that we've experienced before and our friends are also um, wanting to find out more about this topic. So then we decided to venture more deeply into this um, to provide a place um, where uh, undergraduates can find like resources um, so that they can seek help or you know understand better about what they can do to recognize and respond to sexual harassment on campus. Okay, so, okay, can I just track back a bit? So, actually, you mentioned, right? So, why is it so... Okay, like, when you read the media and the news, right? You don't really hear a lot of, like... I mean, yes, we hear snippets and a bit in there, right? But why makes... What made you ladies kind of, like, want to do that as a final year project and kind of, like, made that happen as a movement? I think, firstly, of course, very practically, the main reason was because we just had to pick something to do and work on as our final year project. Mm -hmm. and, and there are so many topics, right? So maybe why we chose that particular topic was that I think we launched this year, we had our research and discussions late uh, 2019. September. So, yeah. So during that period of time, it was where there was actually a lot of like momentum regarding this. There was a lot of news coverage. So it finally felt that, hey, people, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, people are finally talking about this and then we felt that, okay, maybe we can start a conversation now and there will be people who listen instead of people who just try to shut us out. Yeah. Okay. So it was more like, 
the circumstances and everything made us realize that this is a really good time. And since this is what we have been passionate about, it's like, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, 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 I yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> I do just quickly want to add on. I was reminded because then I was talking mm. about all the conversations that were surrounding this topic. Um, yeah. So we were exploring a few different possible topics uh, for FYP, right? Because it's one year dedicated to a topic. That's a long time. And we we're surfacing some of the topics that we felt passionate about. And I think naturally we ended up gravitating towards um, this topic of sexual harassment on university campuses because it's something we feel passionate about. But the other thing was that um, with all the conversations that were ongoing, it finally felt like the time was right. So I think of a topic like that, um, people are not always willing to talk about it. There's a lot surrounding it that's like very taboo. Um, even like just saying that it happens, some people are like, hey, don't, don't anyhow say like this thing happens all the time. Ah. You know, so there's a lot of like fear and uncertainty and shame surrounding these topics. And it was just like so it was such a great opportunity when we when we realized that all these conversations were happening in public spaces that we were like, hey, you know, this is something that we can contribute to. Like four of us, females, undergrads, can contribute specifically in this space that really needs attention. Okay. So currently, like you mentioned, right, that you are you ladies are kind of like talking about this in universities and all that. That is your FYP, right? But having that public conversation and all that, sometimes people have this doubt. Right, okay, whether like you mentioned earlier, right, um, um, Heather, that is taboo around and people say, keep saying like, do anyhow say that and stuff like that, right? So, do you think people are, are more adept, how do you say them, are more adaptive, more receptive or try or listening with an open ear or they're just listening and then just kind of like still trying to avoid that conversation or that topic around sexual harassment? What do you ladies think? Okay, I think... Um, in regards to like whether they are receptive to it because we had this stage where we were doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of people like naturally we had to talk to a lot of people about this topic right mm-hmm. so based on like our experience I think that um, we are fortunate enough to be in an environment where to be you know like in this age where like people are more receptive to this topic so we didn't really face like very harsh like rejections or like people saying that like, oh, this is not happening. Stop spreading this kind of like um, lies and stuff. No, actually, we, we were quite supported by our friends, like all the people that we spoke to for our um, research. Like they were all very willing to share their stories, um, even though some prefer to be anonymous. Many of them still are okay with sharing their stories and uh, are even okay with being filmed, you know, because they, we have this like collective... Um, uh, collective want to like spread this message so I think um, at this point yeah people are still are pretty receptive however um, I think sometimes online you know when people um, share certain things sometimes it may be taken out of context so then it makes it harder for us to spread the message because uh, some people may say like oh you know like this happens to guys or so like why are you like you know, focusing so much on girls, like, are you, like, ignoring the fact that this happens to other people as well? Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, some people may think, like, oh, why are you telling girls what to do? Like, you know, it's not their fault, but actually that's not our intention. So, th- sometimes the words get twisted a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I remember we had a lot of uncertainty when we were going into the topic, right? Because at that point in time, we were thinking, okay, who can support this campaign? Are there experts who will be willing to speak to us? Or are there people who will be willing to sponsor certain materials? Um, or, or, you know, just like help us out. 
And I remember we had a lot of uncertainty surrounding that because we were coming from an academic institution saying that we wanted to talk about sexual harassment in the academic institution. And because of that, we were very careful about the way oh, yeah. we approached or phrased yeah, certain things um, with the school. And when it came to online, it was as, exactly as Yun Rong said. Um, we were very cautious about how we, we phrase things because, okay, so the special thing about our campaign, right? There are so many campaigns about um, that anti-sexual harassment, right? There are so many campaigns that are about sexual violence and prevention of sexual violence. But what makes Girl Talk stand out and, and why we specifically chose this stance is that Girl Talk really focuses on equipping um, people, female undergrads in, in this specific case, with the skills or abilities to respond to harassment. So whether it's verbal or physical, it really gives them um, the framework to, it's not just say no and run away, you know, it gives them the framework to think, to consider like, okay, what are my boundaries? What am I okay with? What am I not okay with? Um, in terms of like, let's say being touched or something being said to me, or even when I'm in this situation, what what is it that I feel comfortable saying? If I don't feel comfortable speaking, what else can I do? Can I gesture with body language? How do I go about doing that? We felt like, you know, all these things are so important because when you're in the moment, so many people, they freeze right? They are scared, they are uncertain, um, they don't really know what to do. And because of that, when it's passed, they, they tend to think like, hey, you know, this is like my fault because like, I didn't react, I didn't respond, or I didn't know what to do. And we really, really, really wanted to stop hearing stories like that, which is why we, we chose this angle. But precisely with this angle, we were very scared that people would feel like we were mandating you know, like, oh, this is what you have to do. This is the correct thing to do. When I think more of what we were doing is making suggestions or encouragements. Mm -hmm. So there, it's like with a topic that's controversial, you're kind of scared to speak too loudly about it. And with a topic that is um, sensitive, you are scared to speak too strongly about it. But we had to do both, you know, speak loudly and speak strongly. At the end of the day, I feel like um, we... We discussed a lot, a lot, a lot with each other as well as with experts. And I'm so glad that we did because I think that what we did really managed to help lots of people. Yeah, like it's simple sometimes. Like it's our friends who say things to us like, okay, like my sister, she, she told me the other day because somebody was telling her that she got like, she was getting harassed on a platform. And then my sister was like telling this girl or oh, what she can do or how to, how, and like telling her that it's not her fault. And then after that, she said, hey, you know, I wouldn't have known any of this if not for your campaign. Like, this has just brought it to my awareness. This has helped me to understand better. And I think, like, that's what we do it for. Just to touch, maybe not, like, the 10, 100,000 people out there, right, um, who, who don't yet know our content, who are not in tune, or who are even, like, disagreeing loudly with us. But for the people who it reaches, I think it's really nice to know that it makes a difference to them and that it helps them figure out um, where they stand on this topic as well as how they can help and protect not only themselves but others. I think that's very important. Mm, okay. I think yeah. uh, you actually answered a lot of my questions, but you just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, actually I wanted to add on to what like Heather said as well was that I think in the beginning when we started on this, it was um a bit worrying that it would be seen as disempowering that we are teaching the so like we call them survivors, like we're teaching like girls to protect themselves when hey hey you should be teaching the other people, the perpetrators, not to um, commit such crimes, right? So why are you telling the people to protect themselves? So we're worried that it would have, we would 
portrayed us as like disempowering mm-hmm. but actually after like thought, uh, thoughts and actually having carried out the campaign realised that it was quite empowering like what uh, Heather said knowing how to take care of yourself knowing how to do like what to do in that instance actually helps a lot yeah and it really helped me in my own like personal daily life as well yeah they prefer not to say or not to even raise or not to even have that conversation um, because there's this culture that that is called the you know, the victim blaming culture. Um, what do you ladies think about that? Okay, so like I'm no expert in this field, but like based on like all the research that we've done and articles that we've came across, um, I would say that humans, right, we have this innate nature where we were, you know, once we were born, we grow up and then we were taught that the world is just and fair. So, um, we've been taught this since we were young, right? So as we grow up, we keep thinking, we want to think that the world is always fair. So when something bad happens to like someone who is so similar to us, you know, we try to like rationalize that and try to think that like, oh, okay, so good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. So if something like this happens to someone, it will mean that they invited it upon themselves or they didn't take enough precaution to prevent that. So imagine like, like your neighbor, right? Let's say um, there was a burglary that happened. You would immediately think like, oh, maybe my neighbor didn't like lock his or her door. Or like if someone was robbed, you'd be like, oh, maybe that person was wearing like a Rolex watch or, you know, carrying a very expensive handbag. So like it's a very like um, innate thing where we internalize you know, these like norms and then we grow up with it. So this applies for sexual assault as well, right? So if something bad happens to someone so similar to us, uh, we try to rationalize that, you know, when we are facing this like troubling like reality, right? We try to rationalize and say like, oh, that person probably did something to invite that upon themselves. Yeah, so I think that's how um, victim blaming actually came about. And it has like sort of creeped into our lives yeah so yeah i guess <laughs> yeah so that's why now it's very uh, it happens all the time we see it in the me too movements people um speak up but then people shut them down saying that like you wanted to be close to that person you know you were drunk and then it's your fault that you were wearing a short skirt right yeah. so it's all because they were trying to rationalize that you know this happened to you because you invited it I don't think it will happen to me because I'm not doing that, you know. So that's how people usually react. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else to add? Oh, actually, I... Okay, so, like, to bring this to, like, a personal experience. Um, so, um, I was sexually harassed on um, the train before. I was really young. I was... Um, around, uh, I think, 17. Yeah, I was 17 years old. I was taking the train to school. So... Um, I remember um, it was from Jurong East to Clementi. So then um, while I was, you know, waiting in the train, um, there was like a lot of people. It was packed. So um, I remember there was this like person behind me and I started feeling this like sensation on my butt. So then I was trying to like think like, um, I think, what should I do, right? Like I was so young, it was the first time it's happening to me. So then I just like bad with it. I tried to like... um, try to imagine that the train was moving faster because it really felt like eternity in there because it was still happening. And even though I tried to shrug it off, like 
the sensation was still there. I could still feel like some fingers on my butt. So immediately after I got off the train, I like quickly got to school. I tried to like uh, blast music. And then when I got to school, I told my friends about it um, in school. And the funny thing is the first thing like one of my friends said was like, what were you wearing? And I was like, Oh, um, I was wearing FBTs, you know, like, it's quite common if you are doing sports, right? I said, I was wearing FBTs. And then he was like, oh, no wonder, la, like, no wonder this happened to you because Not you were wearing FBTs. <laughs> Tricky yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, wear some more, la. wear some more. Like, he still said that to me and, and like, nobody else, like, um, said anything else. You know, they kind of just agreed with that and we all went with the flow because at that time we were not aware. So, you know, like, I think this happens to like a lot of people. So we just accept, you know, the blame. And even when we tell our parents, they will just be like, next time just don't wear short shorts or short skirts, mm. right? So yeah, that's like the personal thing that I face la, that I feel like we really need to change. Yeah. yeah, and I'm glad that we're taking the right step towards that. Heather? Yeah. Daniel? Yeah, I wanted to add on that uh, I, don't, I don't think it's only like just the way we rationalize things, but actually like victim shaming or blaming is because of very like deep-seated cultural norms that especially like, I feel like we are all brought up and taught to protect ourselves. You know how like a, a woman's like chastity, her like pureness, her virtues are very important and you're taught to protect yourself in that sense. So when something like that happens to you, immediately they are like, why didn't you protect yourself better? And it wasn't, it's not a thought to be like, why didn't the person like attack? Like, they don't think about why the perpetrator did it and how it's the perpetrator's fault. They just think like, oh, you could have done better for yourself. Mm. Don't go out at night, you know, don't wear too short, don't wear too skimpy, you're showing off too much skin, you're inviting trouble. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's very, just, such like deep-seated cultural norms that people don't even question it when they say it. You know, like, even my own parents, like, you're, re- you're wearing that out? Uh, that looks too short. But it's like, well, who, who is it too short for? <laughs> it covers all the essentials. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. You were asking about victim-blaming culture. Yeah. Um, man, I had a thought, but I lost it when you oh, were <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, Drop keywords. Um, uh, Asian, Chinese, family. family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no. I, I mean it's okay. I think I think Yun Rong and Dan covered quite a few things already, and I think it's helpful, of course. Like normally, when we talk about victim blaming, we talk about it from the perspective of somebody who is like doing something that's like totally like unacceptable right like it's very easy to like paint that picture and then it's hard to see how it reflects on ourselves as well and I think that it's like the important part right because perfectly decent and good people participate in victim blaming okay okay I know what I was gonna say (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah I I was gonna say that I think the the most destructive thing about victim blaming is that um so so when it happens with somebody that is close to you, right, the problem with it is like they always think that they are saying like what is best for you, especially if it's like a close friend, a good friend, um, they may ask like more questions and then without them expecting it to sound that way, it may come across as doubting you or as um, 
thinking that like you're not believable or like you're overthinking and what how that hurts the survivor why that is very difficult for someone who has gone through a di- what when someone has gone through a difficult experience the reason why it's so scary to to hear these kinds of victim blaming thoughts or ideas is because um for this person to even speak up they must have worked up the courage right to consider um their experiences to sift it through and to raise it however tentatively they raise it and then for that to be denied it kind of causes them to like strike it off in their own minds you know and it really deprives them of the ability to properly process what happened to them as well as how it can potentially impact them so that they can think about uh, okay you know I'm aware that this happened to me and this is how it affected me and then how would this affect my relationships and how can I like um, heal right from this and when you don't get that opportunity to go through these steps it just becomes scars mm-hmm. or just open wounds there are things that continue to fester and every time there's a new occurrence a new thing you you recall the default which is oh this is not like a real thing right it's not a real problem or like I'm just overthinking it and then you put it there and then it becomes worse and worse and worse and I feel like that is the underlying that is the thing that is that underlies a lot of um concepts that as girls we are almost that, that we are thought you know we grow up and we think like okay when it's dark at night like and you see a group of guys you are like you won't look at them you will like cross the road if you can or you will you will just walk away as quickly as possible or like when I'm walking home from the MRT station at night I don't plug in and listen to music just so I can be vigilant just so I can be aware it's all these little things that have kind of taught you that hey you know what your safety is like your responsibility and just your own responsibility and it's insidious because I mean what I'm talking about now right it's like okay general awareness of your surroundings but when it goes on to impact um your relationships even your romantic or intimate relationships I think and you are never given the outlet to even realize that there is something that needs healing that's where it becomes very very difficult and personal okay so the next question kind of comes in how to be a better ally you know how to be a better listener and listen without uh, judging or you know, uh, anyone wants to take it on? I think Dan should answer this question because I think that Dan is a really good listener. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you, Heather. Um, I would like to say that I think it, it's a lot of like personal also because as a person, I try not to make judgments of how people want to live their life. So whenever anyone tells me anything, be it like, oh, their past experiences or just like, like maybe they're like, oh, I really like this specific thing. And I'm like, I don't understand. I don't relate, but it, it's okay. <laughs> it's your life. So I think it's just important, like regardless of what we're talking about, to not have judgment on how people want to live their lives. And to how to be a better ally or ally when someone speaks to me, usually the first thing I try to do is to like, sympathize or empathize if possible so I always almost always start off with like I'm sorry that had to happen to you and depending on because I, I'm a hug person like I like to give hugs <laughs> so depending on your personality you can choose to give a hug and depending on the other person now cannot already oh yeah sorry <laughs> oh my god later the ministry come after me <laughs> now you cannot hug but maybe like a virtual hug but in the past, uh, if someone like, I had a friend who suddenly like, 
I think I knew her for like three days and then she told me that uh, actually when she was younger, her parents' friends, like her parents' friends came over and molested her in her bed. And then I was like, and then I listened with like an open heart and I just said, oh, I'm sorry that this had to happen to you. And I gave her a hug and she actually said that, oh, like, thank you. Um, actually, I, I don't need any like advice or anything. I just wanted to see how you'll react because every time I've told this story, people have always said that, oh, uh, is it, oh, I mean, because like the person that she is, she is also like a little bit more of like a promiscuous like girl. She likes to dress like in tight clothing and stuff like that. So she told me that the friends that she used to have would immediately ask like, oh, uh, what were you wearing? Or like, oh, how come he did that to you? Or like, why do you continue to let him do that to you? But the thing is that I think when people are very young, they also don't exactly know what's happening. And if you don't have the right support system, you just kind of let it continue to happen because you have no idea what's going on and you're choosing to ignore it because it's so traumatizing. But okay, sorry, back to the question about how to be a good ally. I think it's just, you need to put yourself in their shoes and even if you cannot understand, you cannot relate, you need to at least understand and acknowledge the fact that this means a lot, a lot more to them than it means to you. When what they're trying to tell you and what they're explaining, it takes a lot more from them than it takes from you to just listen. Yeah. You know, you want to have anything to add before I ask the next? Okay. Okay, so to add on to what Dan said, mm. so I think that's the first step. So the first step is to be empathetic and to understand where they're coming from and to put them before you. So when they're telling you like their problems, don't try to say like, oh, uh, you know, that happened to me before, uh, blah, 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 because that actually trivializes um, whatever happened to them. So try to listen with all your heart and don't try to bring your own problems in so like that is one of the ways and also like the second thing you can do uh, to be a good ally is to know like who to call out uh, who to like seek help from so uh, this comes from a personal experience as well um, after the this initiative uh, started right actually there was a survivor who who reached out um, regarding a revenge porn case so um the person was asking like what um what to do, you know, like like it's out there, what 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 are the possible measures to take? So then um because like um I was trained, um went for like the sexual assault uh, first responder training by AWARE. So then I immediately knew to call aware the hotline and to let them know what happened and to see how they can support. Because for me I, I've already like told the person like, you know, it's not your fault, you know, um you didn't invite this to happen it's, it's completely the perpetrator's fault you know you shouldn't like uh, feel guilty or shameful about even telling me about this because that person was actually very very shameful and was very afraid that people would judge because actually it really happened uh, like people were already judging and you know they don't provide any help so by knowing um, how to like empathize and by knowing where to seek help from I think that's extremely helpful because after that um, that person could then get help from like lawyers you know um, counselors and psychiatrists so that actually will make a very big difference in their lives and yeah I think um, these are the two steps that I always take when it comes to um, speaking to survivors um, yeah Heather do you have anything else to add? 
Yeah, I was just going to say a great thing to do to be, would be to sign yourself up for the Aware First Responder training, which yeah. all of us went for and what, it was what Yin Rong was talking about just now. Um, it is very, very important. And I think what is something about it that's also so crucial, right, is that it is specifically first responder training. So it puts the emphasis on people who are first to hear these stories and why I'm raising this, right, is because a lot of people who engage with our content, they are people who engage because these things happen to them or they already know and that's why it's top of mind. That's why like, they want to read these resources. That's why they want to find out. But I think the really important thing is that um, even if it doesn't happen to you or as, even especially if it doesn't happen to you, you should be aware because if it's not happening to you, it's going to happen to somebody else who is going to come to you and rely on you for support, right? And and that's the reason why like, it's just always important to educate yourself, if not for yourself, for other people who you love and care about. I have something to add, so. Sure, go for it, Yura. Yeah, okay. Okay, so like another thing is to like always have conversations. So like even if you're just talking to like one person, you know, like it will make a change because you talk to this person and then that person like spreads the message to another person, maybe to their families and like, you know, their whole clique, you know, they start sharing their IGS, reposting and all that. So it becomes like a network. <laughs> yeah, but basically, yes, have conversations and I think men um, both men women or like um, whichever you like identify with you know like if everybody can speak about this it becomes like a much bigger thing where it will like benefit even more people you know like the me too thing we already mm. seen how powerful that is so I think we should just continue this momentum and keep talking about it yeah every yeah. day no, actually. It, it normalizes it like when we have some such conversations, it really normalizes it. It doesn't become so taboo anymore to bring it up and people are not so afraid to like share it. Because I do think that when these things happen to you, it's such a it's such a big thing. Yeah. Even though like maybe the actual incident might not be sh- it might be quite short, it's it takes up such a big part of yourself that when you share it with someone, it's so intimate and the way they res- they respond back to you is so important because um it can like destroy you in a way and it can kind of stop you in your like journey of healing as well yeah okay since you talk about since you ladies are talking about having that conversation right i feel that do you feel that sometimes the hardest conversation is talking to the family the parents to a certain extent right because okay come on come on ladies we're gonna admit it we come from like asian families right they rather not talk about these kind of things they rather just you know okay you know, let's not talk about it, you know, and stuff like that, right? So, how does one actually take that step? I would, and probably would never talk about these kind of things with my family, uh, simply because I think within my family, it's kind of reached a point where it's like, okay, we will just agree to disagree on certain things. Because we have such different values, they, um, they are, my parents are very conservative people, so... Yeah, my mom's the kind of person that tells me not to stay out too late. Like, if you come back, don't come back alone. <laughs> uh, um, don't dress like too skimpy. You know, make sure you cover up. So, if you know that they are this kind of people, and you know that they won't be empathetic, and oh, I don't really want to have that conversation, especially now that I'm older. I know I can get my support elsewhere. I can get it from my friends. I don't necessarily need it from my parents. Because I have a built support system. I'm, I'm not like uh, in primary school. I'm not 
a child anymore. So my main support system is unfortunately not my parents. And I think it's definitely a very difficult conversation to have. And yeah, I think it's very hard to speak for everyone. But personally, I have not spoken and will not speak about it with my own parents. Yeah. I will add on. <laughs> okay, so um, for myself, um, so traditionally um, in the past, like I would never bring this topic up ever. Um, at the dining table. However, um, after we started this initiative, right, um, you know, as more and more reports come out, the way I would approach this, right, with my family um, is that I will talk about the news first. So I will be like, you know, this happened to, uh, like, let's say, like, Monica Bay, you know, like, it's very common in universities. It's happening everywhere. And this is, like, before I even told them that we are doing this project. <laughs> yeah, so I would bring up the news first. I'll say, like, oh, you know, this is happening all around Singapore, and it's, like, super, um, you know, prevalent. And then they'll be like, yeah, 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 I've been seeing this happening so much, you know. And then if, let's say, like, um, let's say my mom starts to victim blame, then I'll tell her, like, no, um, she actually didn't ask for this. She was just showering. How can you say that she's asking for it when she's just doing a daily activity, mm. right? So then it starts to shift um, their mindsets. So um, typically in the past, my mom will always tell me like, um, can you stop wearing these short shorts, you know? Like your short skirt, you're, like what? Yeah, people rape you, uh? yeah, she likes to say that. Then, um, but over time, right, I start to educate them more about this. Uh, where it got to a point where, like, my dad actually doesn't care anymore about what I wear. Um, like, because he knows that, you know, these things happen not because I ask for it, but because there are bad people out there, you know? Mm. So, I think um, you can start by um, raising up the news and then you can start by saying, like, oh, this happened to my friend, you know, and then she has overcome it by doing this, doing that, what happened, it's not her fault. So, um, you know, little by little, um, mindsets will change. La. Yeah, so that yeah. was my personal story. <laughs> then I remember also because for Girl Talk, right, um, after a few months, we actually came out on the news, um, like, uh, on news, uh, on like Vice, on like South China Morning Post. Um, Asia One, all these like platforms, right, and also on CNA. So that was like quite a big one. Um, so then I actually like didn't tell them at first that uh, I was in it because I was doing this project about sexual harassment on campus because I know that they would be like, wait, did this happen to you? Like, why didn't you tell us? You know, like why? So I just like told them like, oh, we are appearing on on the news, and like, just go and watch it. So when they watched it, they actually was like. They understood so much. It's actually um, a documentary. La. It's like porn without permission on CNA. So basically, like they watched it and they like, it was like an unspoken thing at that time at first. La. They were like watching and they were like, huh, so you were actually doing this for FIT. So actually only after the whole program ended, we just like talked a bit. They still posted like my picture on like the family chat. And then only after that, only after that, then they were like, oh, so you were doing that. Then I was like, yeah, so because it's been, you know, like, you know that it's been happening a lot, right, in universities. So, like, this is a good way to get people talking and they were very accepting. Like, they, they completely didn't say, like, oh, no, it's, like, the girls for everything. They were, like, mm. really supportive. So I think that's when I knew, like, it has changed. <laughs> mm. They are supportive now. <laughs> and they are willing oh, my to God. <laughs> you know, when um the Monica Bay incident thing, then I raised up my parents as well. It's not like I never tried to talk about it. It's like I did. And my mom was like, see lah, 
don't stay in hall. <laughs> that's why you must tell her. Yeah, I think that's what happened also. My parents also like that at yeah. first lah. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a word of advice. Um, mm. I just kind of wanted to agree with your point. I think it's very hard to talk to your family about it. And I think it's very hard to talk to your family about it, especially if um, the reason... Okay, so, so for us, so far we've been talking about advocacy, right? So advocacy is difficult to talk to your parents about because you don't know whether they'll agree and you don't really want to clash with them about something that matters to you so much. Uh, that's a big one because I think it's extra painful when the people who you hold the closest disagree with you on something that matters to you so deeply. So it's not, it's not just like somebody in the street, then you're like, okay, agree to disagree. And then you like can walk away from it. You can't. You've just got to live that way. Um, but I also think that for people who have had their own experiences with sexual harassment um, or sexual violence of any sort, that I think it's very difficult to talk about it at home because um, you don't want to hurt your parents. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, that was a big one for me. Like, before I talked to my parents about like my own experiences, right? I think actually I decided that I never would because I I I thought that it would hurt them too much. Like that it it that they didn't need to know because I had already like dealt with it. I had like, you know, processed it in my own time, in my own way, in my own space and that um I didn't need to tell them about it. And the only reason why I did was actually because of Girl Talk. So Girl Talk has been um, it's not only been something that has touched the lives of others, I think for every single, all four of us, it has really touched our lives as well. Like our growth process through this project, the way we have come to reflect on ourselves, our own boundaries, or what we say, what we do, how we act, and how we can help other people has really grown tremendously. Um, for me at home, I mean, I also didn't go into like super a lot of detail when I was talking to my parents, but the reason why I did it was because I wanted them to know why this is important to me. And I think that's a real good starting point for conversation. Of course, if you are too, like, if it's too scary to jump straight into it on your own, you can totally start with, like, what you know, say, right? Talk about the news, just, like, super neutral. You can be like, hey, you know, like, this thing's happening. Then you kind of, like, gauge, test water, see where they're at. Um, not everything is your battle to fight. If you think that it's too scary, too difficult, too daunting to tell your parents, it's fine. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything. But I think at the same time, right, sometimes we are scared of um, monsters that don't really exist. And I I would say that after I talked to my family about it, I was very grateful that I did. Because before that, I thought that I couldn't. Or I was afraid of so many things. And when I did, what I realized was that, hey, you know what, at the core of it, like, even if my family doesn't agree with me on everything, that they love me and they care about me, and I think that was that was a big one. Yeah. Um sometime last year, I think November last year, I was like stopped at an MRT station and oh it was very yeah, it's very like dramatic. Like, okay, I, I just say then if it's like too long then y'all can like cut it out, okay, but I just say first, let y'all listen for fun. Okay. So <laughs> Um, I was basically I was uh, at the library and then when I got up to leave the library there was this man who like he knocked into me and then he cursed at me la. so he just said some unsavory and threatening things and I was very shocked 
I wasn't sure whether he was talking to me because he just walked past me. And when I went out, he was outside and he was like saying the same things very loudly again. But he wasn't looking at me. He was like pretending to be on his phone. So I was very uncertain like what was going on, but just decided to keep walking. And uh, on the way to the MRT station, he like, at first he disappeared. Then he suddenly ran past me and he like knocked into me and he ran across the road at the last minute. So that was like on the way to the MRT station. So when I got to the MRT station, right, I was super hyper paranoid because like I realized this guy has been following me. And so I was like kind of like looking everywhere for him and I, and I didn't know where he was. And I was just looking and looking and looking and I was alone. And then I saw him like, behind me so I moved walk, I walked to the wall straight away and I just stood there and I just looked at him to see what he would do so at first he continued walking but when he got like parallel to me he took his phone out then he walked towards me he took a picture of me and then I think because I had all that time to like be scared and process it when he came and did that to me I was like really angry and I was like what the heck so I like followed him and I was like excuse me like what are you doing why do you take a picture of me and and Essentially, he like changed direction rapidly and he walked away and I decided I'm alone. This is not my battle to fight. I'm going to go and report it, right? So I went to report it to like the, what do you call it? The control station? That sounds like what you call the airport thing. The customer, yeah, you know lah, the desk at the MRT. Yeah. <laughs> I went to report it. The control station. I don't know. I sounds like that- an airport. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'll call it the conversation. I think the, 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 the ticketing, the ticketing, the ticketing office. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the ticketing office. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I went to report it there, and then like, I opened my mouth and I said hi, and then I was like, "Well, I don't know what to say." So I was like, "Uh, I'm here to report a case of harassment." Then like when I said that, right, I started crying, man. I really cried and I cried and I cried and I cried for like three hours like I cried non-stop for three hours and it was very shocking to me because like when I started crying it felt very out of control I felt very like detached um from the rest of my body and I was like hey like why is this happening and and so this kind of like links to what I said earlier right about how um if things happen to you things happen to you and people keep pushing it aside and telling you and downsizing the impact of it you never get to process your feelings and so it comes out at a moment like that Right, I, I wasn't even aware like how strongly I was feeling about it. But when I opened my mouth and I said it, I think it was just like a complete build up of like having similar experiences, even if they were not so scary, that all like just accumulated in this moment where I felt really, really alone and really, really vulnerable. And when I opened my mouth and I admitted that I just I couldn't help it. Like it was like a huge emotional release. So sorry, back to parents. What where parents come to the picture is because I made a police report. So I made a police report and I called my parents and I was like, hi dad, mom, I'm at the police station. <laughs> and they were like, what? So I, I very briefly told them and they came down. They came down. Um, and, and after that, when we went home, I decided that I wanted, it, it was either that day or the next day when I had come down, I decided that I wanted to have a conversation with them about it because it impacted me so greatly, right? that the next day, like, I posted a series of, like, Instagram stories about it, just because I wanted people to know, like, what had happened and why it bothered me so much and how it was not okay. And it was insane. I got so many replies. Okay, like, I got so many replies from people who were like, oh, I'm sorry this had to happen to you and so on. But I had so many replies from girls who had experienced, like, things that, it's very common to hear in response to this. People say, huh, like that harassment, man. Like, for example, so many stories about, like, 
weird, creepy uncles on the MRT, like, staring at them or, like, following them at a distance and then they're, like, scared or, like, people just, like, wolf-whistling, you know, or someone brushing past them and they're not sure whether it was, like, molest and, and they don't know and so they're uncertain so they don't talk about it. But I think the fact that all these girls remember these things that they say they never talk about, it just really shows that it matters, you know? Like, even if you can put it aside mentally, it's somewhere, like, in your heart and... And because of that, it's important to have these kinds of conversations that like normalize acknowledging the trauma that trauma trauma that normalize that normalize um, acknowledging the trauma that arise arises from these experiences. Okay, sorry, I went into a, a huge circle. Okay, sorry, fast on, come back, Aaron. So when I talked to my parents about it, right? Um, they obviously knew that it was something that like mattered a lot to me because I was like crying for like three hours nonstop. So. Uh, I was in a very vulnerable state when I talked to them about it and I I said that same thing that I said to you all, right? This thing about how, like, your small experiences, they add up and I was talking about being catcalled. And then my dad, he was like, huh? You mean you all get catcalled? My mom looked at him and he was like, yeah? What are you talking about? And I was like, ooh, he gets it. <laughs> and, and okay, why I'm raising this, right, is just that Everywhere in the world, including in your own family, there are people who are ignorant and there are people who have experiences that they don't talk about. And before you um, put somebody in a bucket where you're like, okay, they won't get it and I'm scared to open up to them, like give them a chance, give yourself a chance. Um, you may find a really lovely connection and a huge source of support for the rest of your life. So that's the end of part one of this episode. Stay tuned to the next one coming your way.